You're now listening to The Nest on Tap, conversations to encourage parents to make informed choices about healthcare and to embrace parenting as a tool to change the world, one diaper at a time. Here's your host, Katie Demota. Welcome to The Nest on Tap. It's been a while since we have hosted a Tap Talk and it's so fun to do this again. Uh, welcome to everyone. You all know me. I'm Katie Demoda. I'm a lactation consultant and an early parent educator running our weekly groups and classes here at The Nest. And today I am joined by Paige Doyle. Paige is a certified nutrition consultant who is working toward obtaining her registered dietitian license at the University of Northern Colorado. She is also a Nest mom who's been a member of our parenting community now for almost two years. Welcome, Paige. Hi, thanks, Katie, and thanks for all the moms and or moms-to-be that are joining us today or that will be joining us in the recording in the future. Um, I want to start off by saying happy World Breastfeeding Week. We um, kind of unintentionally, it was a happy mistake decided to do this talk, which is on nutritional support for breastfeeding moms, our moms-to-be. And I wanted to begin in honor of World Breastfeeding Month, talking about my own breastfeeding journey real quick. So um, when Elton arrived, that's my son, he's now a year and a half old. When he was born, I remember being so worried about him latching on correctly. And I met with Katie because I was like convinced that he wasn't latch. Like it was all about the latching and the positioning. And I was focused on everything, but meeting my own specific, um, calorie and nutrient needs for breastfeeding. I think there's such a focus on meeting our nutrition needs during our, prenatal experience when we're pregnant, but not enough postpartum. And especially for the postpartum mother that um, chooses and is able to breastfeed. So before I go any further with these slides, I do want to say that any information that I cover today is intended to be helpful and supportive. It's not meant to like shame anybody or make anyone feel less than. I like to use the quote, the more we know, the more we grow, um, or any rendition of that. And I just think, you know, the more we know, the more we have power to implement it. So yeah, definitely not intended to shame anybody by sharing this information. Thanks, Paige. And I hope everyone feels that same truth around just World Breastfeeding Week or World Breastfeeding Month. It's not a moment to shame anyone about their decisions or choices. It's simply a moment to honor everyone's journey, even if your journey was very short or if your journey was long. I mean, everyone's experience is so different. So it's just a moment for us to collectively, and I think it's 120 countries, uh, acknowledge World Breastfeeding Week, at least. So it's just a moment to acknowledge, to share information, which is why this was such a beautiful accident. Thank you, Paige, <laughs> for scheduling this class in such a timely week. Uh, and so that we can know, and I love that, and grow. That's a wonderful um, sentence or mantra to remember. Thanks, Paige. 
Yeah, thank you. So I want to um, really, if there's one thing you take away <laughs> from this talk today, it's that breastfeeding requires increased nutritive demands that are higher than what they are when we're pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I want to reiterate that, that we need more calories and other nutrients, even more like in a higher demand than we did when we were pregnant. And don't, so, you think, don't you think most people don't realize that? Cause we focus so much during pregnancy. And when the baby comes, we take an exhale. We're yeah. like, oh, okay. Maybe I don't have to eat like I did, but the truth is different. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I think, like I said before, I think we focus so much on that prenatal health and nutrition that not enough attention is given to those postpartum, that postpartum period, um, especially when we're breastfeeding. And the reason is, is during the first four to six months of your baby's life, they typically double their birth weight. So they're growing at such a high rate. And that's why we need an about approximately like 500 calories or one equivalent to one extra meal a day. And also some of those calories or extra weight and fat we put on during pregnancy will be used to help um, generate that milk flow in those initial postpartum days and weeks. I was shocked as a new mom by how much hungrier I was um, at first breastfeeding versus being pregnant. Um, I had to keep snacks at my bedside at all times. Um, and I would just like eat in the middle of the night. I'm like, this isn't normal, but I just, thankfully I trusted my body and like listened to those hunger cues. Um, and that's definitely something that's really important for the postpartum mother is um, definitely if you're hungry, don't dismiss it. Um, and preferably eat before you're ravished because if we're waiting until we're ravished, then we've kind of missed that window. Mm -hmm. And I do want to point out that even though those calorie needs increase during those first six months, it doesn't mean that those calorie needs decline after six months. Actually, they can um, further increase after the first six months of the infant's life because they're definitely still growing and their calorie needs will change and your milk um, production and content will adjust as we continue breastfeeding should you continue to breastfeed after the first six months. So just to clarify what you just said, mm -hmm. we can be even hungrier after mm -hmm. six months of breastfeeding. Yeah. I mean, I will say for myself personally, I'm still breastfeeding at a year and a half postpartum. And I would say my hunger, my ravenous um, appetite seemed to kind of steady off around like nine months to a year where I felt like I could eat breakfast and like not be hungry 30 minutes later. Uh, but I think it varies from woman to woman, but definitely if you're still breastfeeding, especially ex exclusively and your baby hasn't been introduced to solids really yet, um, don't dismiss those extra calorie needs after the first six months. So important to say and hear, because mm -hmm. I think the opposite is usually talked about yeah. in our greater culture is like, 
this idea of bouncing back, this idea of now you can, you know, begin have restrictive diets or work out more. And I know that I felt even more depleted mm-hmm. the second year, the second half of my child's first year of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I cannot stress that experience enough for to listen to our bodies and to really be feeding ourselves and not thinking about some of these ideas of diet. Yeah, right? absolutely. Definitely. (laughs) Which actually brings me to (laughs) my next point um, is that breastfeeding is not definitely not a good time to go on a restrictive diet or a low carb diet or a keto diet or whatever diet they're trying to sell you on social media. Um, In this modern world we live in, especially for women, we are inundated with this diet culture. It's rampant everywhere we look. I feel like everyone is subjected to it, not just women either. And it's hard to not feel that, you know, get back to like pre-baby weight um, and like as quickly as possible when really it's like, wait, no, that's just the start of the journey is um, the labor and birth. Like we then need to ramp up calories and make sure we have good nutrition for breastfeeding because that baby is getting all those nutrients from you. So definitely don't um, give in to diet culture and ex- it, you know expect that you're gonna be pre-baby weight right away. Um, not to say that you shouldn't like feel good and want to like feel your best, but definitely not a time to be restricting calories or carbohydrates. Um, there was a study done that found that women breastfeeding, lactating women who consumed a low carb diet experienced things like fatigue, dehydration, and energy loss. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about any other breastfeeding moms, but I felt those things even not doing a low carb diet. So I would not want to experience more fatigue, more dehydration, um, more um, energy loss. So really focusing on carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are not our enemy. They are our friends and our bodies are working so hard. So do not like deprive them of those calories because yeah, your body's working really hard during this time. I did want to share, I know most of you are just listening in, so you probably can't see the table I have, but I wanted to, before I dive specifically into different vitamins and minerals that increase during lactation, um, if you are looking at this table, you can see that a lot of vitamins and minerals increase during lactation versus when we're pregnant. Um, And specifically vitamin A, which is a fat-soluble vitamin, Um, the water-soluble vitamins B6, B12, and vitamin C, as well as the minerals selenium, zinc, Um, magnesium wasn't included on this table, but that's another one that increases for the lactating woman. Are you saying the needs increase? Yes, the needs. Yeah, sorry if I didn't clarify that, that your needs for those increase during lactation. Look at how much they increase. Yeah, it's not a small amount. If you do have access to your screen, it's um, it's not a small amount. And if you look under calcium, this um, report was done 
in 2006. And now current research is actually suggesting that your cal calcium needs also go up during lactation to about 1300 milligrams per day. And I'm not showing this information because I expect you to memorize what your RDAs or DRIs for the day are, but I just wanted to show that those needs definitely go up in for some of them, they go up quite significantly. Um, also wanted to point out for vitamin A, that one goes up nearly double. So okay. that's that's not a small amount by any means. Mm -hmm. And also the DRIs, which stand for um, dietary recommended intakes and RDAs, which stands for um, recommended dietary allowances. Those are pretty conservative. Um, they're not really emphasizing uh, optimal health with those. So ideally I would suggest, you know, aiming for more than that for optimal health. Basically these RDAs and DRIs are just so that you're not at a deficiency. Right. And I do want to point out, and I'll say this again during the talk that both fat and water soluble vitamins are secreted through your breast milk. Um, and they are, you know, then able, you're, infant is able to get those um, water-soluble and fat-soluble vitamins. And if we are at a deficit, our breast milk will be at a deficit. But the good news there is that any deficiencies in our breast milk do respond well to supplementation. So um, by like supplementing or getting more of those from the diet, we will um, be able to meet our baby's needs. One of the more common nutrition deficiencies out there is vitamin B6. So B6 is a water-soluble vitamin. And water-soluble vitamins in general are easily excreted through urine. So if we say we're like, okay, I really don't wanna be deficient in vitamin B6, so I'm just gonna take my RDA of B6, which is about two milligrams um, right in the morning. You know, I'm just going to take a supplement and that's that. Well, with water soluble vitamins, there's a short half life. So anything that you get over what your body can use in that moment, you're just going to pee out. So I, that's why ideally, you know, getting your nutrients from food. And then I look at supplements as kind of a buffer for anything that maybe we weren't able to meet from our daily needs. And the reason B6 is such an important nutrient for breastfeeding women is that for one, it gets passed on to the nursing infant. So those, any, you know, vitamin B6 deficiencies could then um, be deficiencies in your newborn but it's essential for neurological systems. It's um, any deficiencies can include dermatitis, sore tongue, depression, confusion, and convulsions because it is directly related to our neurological systems. Mm -hmm. And foods highest in vitamin B6 are gonna be pork, eggs, um, cereal bran, oatmeal, and legumes. So you know, some of those high carb foods are also going to be rich in B6 as well as animal products are going to be rich in B6. And for those lactating mothers that are exercising, you're going to utilize even more B6 um, and you're going to need to replenish that even more. So um, definitely focus on those B6 rich foods. 
if you are exercising. So helpful. I don't think I did that. Thanks, Paige. Yeah. <laughs> and then for the minerals, I wanted to focus on two minerals, um, iodine and selenium. There was this interesting research study I came across that just came out last year, um, indicating that pregnant and lactating women are often have insufficient intakes of iodine and selenium. And one of those reasons I think in particular that iodine can be low is that less and less of us are using iodized salt. So a lot of like the conventional table salt has, um, is fortified with iodine. However, like we know, a lot of us know that table salt kind of sucks. And uh, a lot of us are opting for like a more high quality salt, such as sea salt or like a Himalayan pink salt. Mm -hmm. So we're not getting iodine from that, um, from that um, conventional table salt. Mm -hmm. I also came across um, in one of my um, dietetic textbooks that in the United States, there is um, a presence of, it's called percolate um, found in our drinking water and that also inhibits iodine uptake. Mm -hmm. So if you are like drinking tap water, it might be a good idea to get that tested and see if um, percolate is present, is showing up in your water because that would also inhibit some of that iodine uptake. And why is iodine such an important mineral? Um, it's essential for thyroid function. Um, it's also, they're showing because it's linked to thyroid function. If you don't know anything about your thyroid, basically it's like responsible for some of the most important metabolic processes in our body. Um, it's what regulates our body temperature, our metabolism. It helps regulate hormones. It's just really something we want. We want to be functioning optimally, um, especially, you know, for pregnant and postpartum women, because we're already, I feel like fatigued and have the brain fog and everything. And if our thyroid isn't functioning on top of that, um, we, we could really start to suffer, um, especially in our energy levels. Also they've, um, in this 2021 study, they um, saw an association between low iodine levels in moms and um, children developing asthma. And the reason being is because iodine is so important for thyroid function, they're showing that there's something related to that in respiratory um, function as well. The thyroid um, plays a role in that. So hypothyroidism may adversely affect lung development in the infant if it's not getting passed on through the breast milk. I also just wanted to add that, you know, a lot of women postpartum are experiencing some fluctuations with their thyroid health mm -hmm. and that um, optimal thyroid function also supports breastfeeding. So that's an interesting, you know, cycle there that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of these nutrients, it's like, once we realize what they're doing, it's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> like that, right. that makes sense. Um, and similar to iodine, selenium is also, um, essential for thyroid function. It's also a crucial mineral for our immune health mm -hmm. and is also linked to reduce asthma risk as well. So foods that are going to be high in iodine, I have 
Um, eggs, I'm going to come back to that one and how important of a food that one is. Um, fruit and root vegetables, women that um, consume a diet rich in eggs, fruit and root vegetables during breastfeeding are found that their breast milk is higher than in iodine. And if you are taking a multivitamin supplement, um, it has been shown to be more efficient at getting iodine to the breast milk versus iodized table salt. So you don't need to feel like you, you have to do the iodized table salt in order to get um, to supplement with iodine. In foods that are rich in selenium, again, I'm going to go back to eggs. <laughs> um, fatty fish is also going to be high in selenium as what's well a, as what's a fatty fish? Yeah, so fatty fish um, things. I always like to highlight salmon. Um, that's probably my favorite fatty fish. Um, there, there's also like mackerel, tuna, um, and other seafood. But those are my salmon's probably my um, favorite. And then if you're not doing fish, um, nut seeds um, are going to be rich in selenium as well as shellfish, such as oysters or clams or mussels. Those are also rich in selenium. We have a question. What about seaweed for iodine? Yeah, seaweed. Thank you for that question. Yeah, that's a great point. Seaweed is great. Um, source of iodine and a lot of other trace minerals. So yeah, definitely seaweed. Can How much help. would you eat seaweed? Just curious what you think. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you could really overdo it with seaweed. I would just make sure you're getting it from a reputable source. Like you wouldn't want to get seaweed from like a part of the ocean that's heavily polluted. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, if you're doing flakes like dulce flakes, um, you, you know, a couple tablespoons a day, you know, one okay. to the three, I would say on average. Is that your same recommendation for fish and sourcing fish? I've had a hard time finding mm -hmm. clean sources lately. Yeah, the, um, the best source that I've been using for years now is um, the Monterey Bay Sea Watch. Um, they always are updating that list um, in terms of contamination, especially uh, mercury, because mm -hmm. uh, that's, you know, a huge one, especially for pregnant and lactating moms. Um, we definitely want to make sure we're keeping um, mercury toxicity at bay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite one to recommend is the uh, Monterey Bay Sea uh, Watch. That's a website where they'll they grade it, right? They'll grade the different. Yeah, they grade it. Yeah. And they update it because it's changed, you know, it's changing as their ocean waters are um, changing. So they update that every year. So it's a, it's a great resource to have. Okay. So I said, we're going to talk about eggs. <laughs> and the reason I want to talk about eggs is because not only are they rich in both selenium and iodine, but they're also rich in fatty acids, protein, choline, uh, B vitamins, phosphorus, and iron. Um, they almost meet, two eggs will meet about 35 to 40% of your choline needs, your B vitamin needs, phosphorus, and uh, protein, or sorry, not protein, but um, that's quite a bit in just two, two eggs um, that you could just do in uh, like scrambled egg or omelet, whatever. 
Um, and the reason I want to talk about choline is choline's not only important for pregnant moms because it helps um, with placental development, but it's also important for um, lactating women because it gets passed through the mother's breast milk. And we hear a lot about the fatty acids, uh, omega-3 fatty acids, DHA and EPA being really important for cognitive development and brain health, but choline is right up there for cognitive health as well, not only for mom, but also for baby as well. So definitely not something you want to dismiss. Like I really encourage, um, if you can't do eggs, like finding other sources rich in choline. Um, but, and there are more prenatal and postnatal supplements coming out with higher, percentages of choline in it, um, which is awesome to see. And it's also an important precursor for cell development, um, division, and it's shown to be important in gene expression as well. And for those that have um, macular degeneration running in your family, it's also a, contains two powerful antioxidants, lutein, in Zyat, I think it's called Z-Xanthum. Um, and those um, yeah, are great for eye health as well. And eggs are you know, a really affordable source of protein as well. So that's why I like to highlight eggs as one of those nutritional powerhouses that meet a lot of our needs for um, both pregnancy as well as postpartum. And I'm not sure if we have any vegan or vegetarian moms on the talk today, but I did a survey that some of you might've taken. Um, it was a survey asking about kind of your current um, diet habits. And a lot of moms that said that they were vegan or vegetarian, I asked if they supplemented at all with um anything. And a lot of them said no, or just what was in their prenatal. But really we need more than what's in our prenatal for some of those um, key nutrients. One of which is B12. Um, that one you can only get from um, animal products. You can get a little bit from nutritional yeast. And I wrote down here that B12 um, the methylized form of that, which is methylcobobulin, and that is going to be easier to digest and absorb than um, just B12 on its own. And then DHA, which again comes from those omega-3 fatty acids, is going to be a really um, important one to supplement for, I would say for everyone, but especially for those that have um, an animal-free diet. And then my, the last vitamin that I wanted to focus on during today's talk is the fat soluble vitamin D. So this one, I actually kind of did a deep dive during my early postpartum period. Uh, vitamin D has, so vitamin D supplementation, there's a lot of information on the internet on whether we should supplement with it, whether it gets passed on to breast milk or if it doesn't. Um, 
And recent studies have found that there is a strong positive association between mothers that supplement with B12 during lactation and their baby's vitamin D levels, which means that when a mom's vitamin D levels are sufficient, it does get transferred to the breast milk to meet the baby's needs. So supplementing with vitamin D while breastfeeding, especially if it's during the winter months where sun exposure is limited, is um, something to definitely take into consideration. And if you are exclusively breastfeeding, you, you could also start supplementing with an additional 200 to 400 IUs of vitamin D um, starting as early as two months of age. I waited until my son was six months old. And then I started giving him when he started eating solids, um, like a little vitamin D dropper of vitamin D. And I do want to point out that fat soluble vitamins need fat in order to be absorbed. So making sure you're eating a diet that's rich in healthy fats is going to help your body utilize and absorb those fat soluble vitamins. So fat soluble vitamins are vitamins A, D, E, and K. And those do get passed on from the uh, mother through the breast milk to the baby. Paige, in your research, did you read anything about what the recommended level or the dose daily dose for vitamin D for breastfeeding moms might be for passing down some stores to baby? Yeah. So some, it, it was a wide range. Some were more conservative than others. And I think it really depends on where you're living. Mm -hmm. And also if you have more melanin, if you have a darker skin color, you're actually going to need more vitamin D than someone with like a paler complexion. Um, just because your body, it takes longer for that vitamin D to be absorbed from the skin into the, the body. I took about 5,000 to 6,000 IUs a day while um, I was exclusively breastfeeding. And I had my son in February, so it was the winter months. So I would say that's a higher end. I have heard of um, women taking as high as 10,000 IUs of vitamin D, but I would use caution with that. And you could always get your um, serum vitamin D levels tested. That's an easy one to do with um, your primary care provider. Um, it should be covered under your insurance as well. And that way you can see where your baseline vitamin D levels are and you can supplement accordingly. So if your vitamin D levels were really low, then yeah, maybe doing an upper um, dose for like a month or two would be beneficial, but then going down to maybe like 4,000 to 5,000 I use a day would be appropriate. We don't want to go too high with vitamin D because it is a fat soluble vitamin. So there is a risk of toxicity because any fat soluble vitamin has the ability to be stored in our fat cells. So it's not excreted as easily as something like vitamin C or um, a lot of the B vitamins because the water soluble ones that are just excreted through our urine, whereas the fat soluble ones, they get stored in our liver um, and just harder, harder to break down those 
accesses of them. Thank you, I've heard the same, but to have the vitamin D actually pass through the milk, it has to be pretty high. You have to- Yeah, that. yeah, it does have to be high, yes. 5,000 5, was what I heard as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you. and vitamin D is a really um, hot, hot vitamin right now. Yeah. Um, because of all these studies that are coming out with folks that have had COVID and really um, adverse side effects with COVID in low vitamin D levels. Mm -hmm. I also think that is one of the reasons that we're more prone to cold and flu during the winter months because we are getting less vitamin D because we're not getting as much direct sun exposure as we would in the summer months. Mm -hmm. um, and vitamin D is... Uh, a really great vitamin for immune health. So that's why it's been linked in a lot of COVID cases and COVID studies that are coming out now. Thank you. And then another nutrient that increases well breastfeeding is protein. So we need an additional 25 grams a day of protein. Um, on top of our regular protein needs. So that comes down to approximately 71 grams a day of protein. Obviously that's gonna vary based on your activity level. If you're working out, you're gonna need more. Um, also protein needs increase during stress. So um, what's a stressful thing? Uh, birth that's stressful. So protein needs are definitely gonna increase after you give birth, um, no matter how you give birth, it's a stressful, like a physically stressful taxing event on your body. So definitely getting in some good sources of protein postpartum, especially in those first couple days and weeks. Um, and also if we're talking about, um, the stress load on the body, other things that increase, um, needs that increase would be vitamin C and zinc. Those also um, increase quite a bit during a stressful event. And when we're talking about grams, that's like a hard, like 71 grams. What does that look like? That's hard to kind of wrap your head around. So I like to talk about specific foods and what sort of, um, protein they provide. So looking at meat sources of protein, um, you know, obviously animal-based protein is going to provide higher amounts than plant-based and a three ounce serving of chicken, which is like about the, the palm of your hand is going to be three ounces. And that provides 28 grams of protein. Um, so if you look at there, if you need about 70 grams a day, that is, you know, almost, a third right there. So that, that would be a great source of protein at a meal. Or if you wanted to do a couple of eggs, that would be 14 grams of protein. Um, seafood, most seafood has around 20 to 25 grams in a three ounce serving. I did want to share, I have this, um, handout here. Let me see if I can share it with you all real quick. Okay, Zoom share. Thanks. Okay, can you see my screen again or is it still not? No, it's not, huh? Your screening is paused. Well, can you... 
resume. Okay, let me see if I can switch it back. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to go over this handout that I'll provide everyone that's listening to this talk either today or in the future, you'll have access to this handout. Um, it's a handout on foods to reach protein goals. And, you know, I just went over a couple, but there's also lots more that I didn't go over. Um, a half cup of cooked pinto beans, for instance, provides 11 grams of protein. A tablespoon of peanut butter would provide you with seven grams. So if you made yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it I usually, you know, at least do two tablespoons, um, which would be, you know, 14 grams of protein right there. Um, dairy also has a lot of protein in it. And I know a lot of pregnant women crave dairy, myself included. And I think it is because it's such, you know, it's so rich in a lot of fat soluble vitamins, but it also provides a lot of protein. One cup of full fat cottage cheese provides 25 grams of protein. So that's a lot. Um, and a seven ounce serving of full fat Greek yogurt will provide you with 18 grams of protein. And let me see if I can share this again so that you can see this for a second. Start sharing. I'm glad you have a handout for us because it's really great to have these reminders where we can look back, right? Like what, what am yeah. I doing? What did she say? This is great. And we'll make sure it's part of the recording as a handout. You can download it there. And of course, I'll send it to everyone here today as well. Definitely. Can you see this now? Yeah, we can see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, as I talked about, um, I think some of these foods on here are going to be more surprising that they have. Um, such high amounts of protein. We focus a lot on, you know, chicken and red meat, but there's also a lot of protein in, say, um, you know, like a half cup of cooked lentils. Um, you know, nine grams of protein is definitely, definitely, you know, a great amount, especially if we're adding some, say, cooked chicken or steak to that. That would definitely meet your protein needs for that meal. I'm just going to zoom out of this again. Let me stop the sharing. Let's go back to this. Okay, so I think I'm at the end here of what I wanted to go over during my talk. I definitely wanted to leave enough time for questions at the end or just shares, comments, um, anything that anyone wants to ask. I have a question if you could mm -hmm. share we talked about carbs, we talked about the importance, but we didn't talk about some ideas for carbs. Can you share with us some nutrient dense carbs that moms could easily grab while they're breastfeeding? Oh yeah. Sorry. I had that in my notes and I totally, <laughs> totally skimmed over it. Yeah, that's important. Um, so carbohydrates are not just found in bread and pasta. I think that's like a lot of us go to like, oh, I can't do carbs because I don't like, you know, my stomach doesn't agree with bread or pasta. Well, there are a lot of great complex carbohydrates out there that are not bread and pasta. Things like, um, you know, root vegetables, so beets, carrots, yams, sweet potatoes, uh, red potatoes, like any, any potato. Um, 
as well as any fruit or vegetable is also going to be rich in complex carbohydrates as well. And a complex carbohydrate basically means that it is not only does it provide your body with sugar, but it also provides it with other vitamins and minerals and more importantly, dietary fiber. Um, I did a talk that I think it was a year and a half. Yeah, it was right before I had my son, um, mm -hmm. a talk on balancing blood sugar levels for hormonal support. And we went a lot into complex carbohydrates and how important dietary fiber is at stabilizing blood sugar levels throughout the day, which is why I always tell clients I'm working with, you know, don't try not to eat like a naked or an empty car because that can, you know, spike your blood sugar levels. Whereas if we're having like a sweet potato with some ghee or butter or coconut oil on it, that's going to stabilize um, blood sugar levels throughout the day. And also carbohydrates are going to be really great at providing um, calories and energy right when we need them, which is all the time for breastfeeding moms. So that talk you're talking about is also recorded and stored mm -hmm. on the Nest on Taps web page on our website. So you can go back and listen to Paige and I talk, that has been a while ago, Paige, about yeah, balancing. <laughs> yeah, that was a great talk as well. Any questions from those of you who are here today that you want to ask Paige directly, or you can share it in the chat and I'm happy to ask for you if you're busy. If not, I have another question, but I'll wait and see. Go ahead. I have a question. Um, hi, Paige. Good to see you. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I have never been like a supplement person or multivitamin or anything like that until getting pregnant and started doing the prenatals. And uh, then like once I delivered, like I stopped all supplement stuff. And just recently I started taking supplements again because I was such like low energy and um, tired chasing these two kids all the time. So you were talking about like supplements not being effective when uh, we, what were you saying? Like we, yeah. when we can't absorb it. Could yeah. You explain that a little more. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah. So that's, um, so the thing with the multivitamin is that, I mean, not all multivitamins are created equally. I used to work at um, a supplement store. So I kind of <laughs> delved deep into the supplement world for a bit there. Um, and there are certain ones that have been third-party tested because it's something that's not regulated by the FDA. So the source, like sometimes, you know, companies can say they have XYZ in there, but who's actually testing it to ensure that it's actually at the levels that they say it's at and actually in a form that your body can readily utilize. And on top of that, there, there's a difference between the fat soluble vitamins and the water soluble vitamins. So what I was saying in specific to our B vitamins is that since they are water soluble, if we take in more than the RDA um, or whatever our specific body needs in that moment, it doesn't have a long storage life in the body, meaning that we're just gonna essentially pee it out if we don't use it right then and there. Um, whereas fat soluble vitamins like vitamins A, D, E, and K, they are gonna be stored so we can use those throughout the day, 
So we could, you know, just take one multivitamin and then that would, you know, probably suffice for the day. Whereas things like B vitamins and vitamin C, say you took like a thousand milligrams of vitamin C in one tablet, we're probably only going to be able to use like half of that. So in, a, in an ideal world, our multivitamin would be like not just one a day, but like four throughout the day. And if you could, you know, do one at breakfast, one at lunch and one at dinner, because those water soluble vitamins are, you're going to be able to actually utilize them a lot better than. Any other questions for Paige? have, would you recommend to continue taking the same prenatal after giving birth and transitioning to breastfeeding? Um, so that's, that's something that I personally chose to do until, um, six months postpartum. Mm -hmm. I think it varies. Um, and like what's in your prenatal, there are some postnatal supplements on the market. I like the one by um, New Chapter. They have a postnatal that um, I, I like their what what they all included in it. Mm -hmm. um, but our prenatal needs are different than our postnatal needs, and especially if you're not menstruating at first. Um, I mean, I know we bleed after we give birth, but after that, you know, bleeding stops, our iron needs are going to be different. And there's some other, um, minerals I can think about that we wouldn't want to consume at the same level as we would when we were pregnant. Um, so personally, I wouldn't take a prenatal, um, too far along postpartum, just because I think those nutrient needs are going to be different. And I know Katie, you have okay. some thoughts about this as well. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. I think that our needs do shift and change. And so I tell moms, you know, finish what you have and then mm -hmm. consider changing to something that's very specific for postpartum, more importantly, very specific for your body and what's going on for you. Um, and only usually if you're not able to have access to a varied diet, obviously I, uh, agree Paige, as you started us off today, talking about getting our nutrients as best as possible and uh, from food, but that can be really hard when and if we're not having support postpartum. So I would shift personally. I've also seen some effects with the baby. Um, some of the prenatal vitamins are high in iron and that causes constipation for some newborns. So there's some things that can throw us off postpartum uh, with a simple shift of stopping the prenatal. That's what I've seen. Yeah, yeah definitely. Any other questions today for Paige? Hi, thank you for this. It's really helpful. Um, something I've heard and I don't know a ton about, and I don't know if it's something you're, you have knowledge about is um, that vitamin D supplementation can deplete magnesium from our bodies. I, it's something I heard recently and I'm like, thrown off by that because I know they're both important nutrients and um I just wonder if it's something you you know about or can speak to at all yeah I mean that's a great question I think that's why I always like I know I was um focusing on specific vitamins but I don't like to just focus on one vitamin like our 
what's kind of fascinating about our bodies is that a lot of these vitamins and minerals work synergistically in the body, meaning that they rely on each other to, um, create optimal health. So, um, what I could think about with the relationship between vitamin D and magnesium is that vitamin D, magnesium, and calcium, as well as vitamin K are important to all be in balance for your bones to utilize those effectively um, for bone health. So I could think that if you were high in vitamin D or high in magnesium, but you weren't meeting, you know, those other mineral and vitamin needs that you wouldn't be effectively, effectively utilizing those for um, bone health. That's where I could see that coming into play. But yeah, again, that's why I don't like to just focus on one vitamin or mineral. Um, I, I like to make sure we're in balance with all of them, not just one. Hey, and magnesium also, sorry, real quick. Um, magnesium is also a really common one to be deficient in. I know I didn't go over it in our talk today, but for most of the world, there's a deficiency in magnesium just because it's depleted from our soil now, as well as in our water. We used to be able to get that um, more readily in our water and soil. And unfortunately that's becoming more sterilized. So we don't get that. How would you recommend supplementing with magnesium or getting enough from diet? Yeah, so um, a lot of plant-based foods are rich in magnesium, especially a lot of um, folate-rich foods are also rich in magnesium. Uh, dark leafy greens, pumpkin seeds are rich in magnesium. Chocolate is rich in magnesium. Um, My theory is that women in postpartum ask for dark chocolate because of the magnesium. That's my theory. I've been working with postpartum women for close to 20 years. And I was shocked in the beginning by how many of my clients I was working in the home where they all wanted chocolate. And I thought it was so interesting. It was always dark chocolate. Yeah. And some of them started to tell me, you know, I don't even eat chocolate. I've never eaten chocolate before, but I am craving it for some reason. And previous to being pregnant, I also didn't eat chocolate and it took my own experience of becoming postpartum to then also want chocolate. It was very interesting to live that myself. And since then have also been asked, my body has been asking for dark chocolate since. So it, that's my theory is that we're seeking magnesium. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's funny that you say that because I just <laughs> had a flashback to, um, the first six months of postpartum every morning I craved, like, I got this really fancy, um, dark, like drinking cacao thing that I would make every morning. And, um, yeah, now that we're talking about that, I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah. My body yeah. was really craving that because of the specific nutrients in that food product. So it is kind of cool when we listen to our body and tap into that, that it's usually telling us what we need. Um, like again, with that dairy, I like most women I talk to, even women that like can't do dairy, um, prior to becoming pregnant, all of a sudden they're like, I'm eating like cottage cheese and yogurt and all these, um, yeah, dairy, dairy foods. Right. Things. I felt that pull as well, mm -hmm. especially in pregnancy. I was like, I am drinking a cup of milk. It was a yeah. really experience. <laughs> yeah, same, same here. <laughs> we have just a couple more minutes and, and Paige, 
this all sounds fabulous. And some part of my brain is also going, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of work and a lot of attention. Any last tips for new moms, moms with lots of kids, wherever you are in the journey for how do we actually get our needs met? Any tips that you have or that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, so this is something that I try to ask myself every day um, when I'm doing meal prep or when I'm growing grocery shopping. Um, it's why I think eating a variety and not just like sticking to like one or two foods a day is important. Um, the more variety we meet, the more chances are that our nutrient needs are being met. Um, and especially if you can eat um, animal sources of like protein and fat soluble vitamins, those are a lot easier more easily absorbed in the body than plant-based um, forms. So yeah, things like vitamin A, um, vitamin D and iron and um, a lot of amino acids, those are gonna be um, a lot more prevalent in foods like chicken or ground beef or something like that versus but if you know, a cup of beans or a cup of rice or something like that. But if you're staring at the kitchen and there's a lot mm -hmm. of raw foods, like, you know, raw meat, and you're like, I don't know, what do I grab? What do you right. think? What, what would you recommend for parents to, who maybe don't have the time, what could mm -hmm. they grab and still feel like they're getting a good snack throughout the day? Yeah. I mean, so a lot smoothies, I guess would be an easy one. <laughs> like, yeah. um, smoothies, uh, those you can like add a lot of like extra things to like uh, protein powder. I really like whey protein powder or um, collagen peptides powder. Okay. That, that would be a great one. Um, bone broth is going to be really dense and a lot of nutrients and you could just sip on that throughout the day. Or I was sharing during the toddler playgroup a <laughs> bone broth popsicle recipe <laughs> um, that I'll also share with the nest uh, subscribers as well. So those, those are two that come to mind that are really easy and don't require much thinking, especially in those early postpartum days or just being a busy mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. Great. Thanks Paige. Very helpful conversation. Um, I will make sure we have handouts attached wherever this recording lives. So you'll be able to have access to this information, print it out, have it near you so you can resource it uh, in the moments where you're standing there going, what do I eat and what should I do? I think that's a really helpful thing as a parent at any point in your journey. Um, yeah, any last minute thoughts, Paige? How can we find you? How about a mom who wants to work with you? How can she find you? Oh yeah. Um, my website is ditchmyscale.com. I haven't been promoting that as much lately because I'm currently, um, on my journey to become a registered dietitian. Mm -hmm. So I'm not as available to work one-on-one, -on -one, but, um, I'm sure I could sneak you in, especially mm -hmm. moms or moms to be. That's definitely my passion is, supporting other moms out there. So um, yeah, please reach out at page at ditchmyscale.com or you can go directly to my website and that'll be on the handout that we provide today. Thanks Paige so much. It was wonderful to have you back and thanks for the push to get the nest on tap going again. This is fun and I hope we'll be offering some more soon. You've been listening to The Nest on Tap. For more talks about pregnancy and parenting, visit us online at 
thenestfamilyresource.com, on Facebook at The Nest Childbirth Postpartum and Parenting, and on Instagram at thenest.nc.